Well, welcome this afternoon. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, please open them at Psalm 22. Uh, if you don't, don't worry. Uh, some of the text will come up on the screen so you can follow uh, with us this morning, uh, this afternoon. We are uh, in a new series in the Psalms, and we've entitled it, God, Are You There? Prayers for every season of the soul. And it seems to me apt that we're in the Psalms in this season because we are in unprecedented times uh, of a global pandemic. And there is much fear and concern out there, much distress and uncertainty, both on a global level, but also on a personal level. Questions may be being asked. You may be asking questions of yourself. Where is God at this time? Does Christianity, or more importantly, does Christ have anything to say to us that might ease our suffering or give us hope in this time? Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is its realism. It doesn't sugarcoat stuff. It just tells you as it is. And if we were to read through the Psalms, we would see that there are Psalms for every seasons of the soul. There are Psalms when people are in fear. There are people when, uh, when they're in anxiety, when they feel hopeless, when they feel distressed, when they feel angry, uh, when they feel abandoned, as we're going to look at today. And um, the Bible just tells you as it is. It just tells you the truth of the human condition, that there are dark seasons of the soul and dark seasons for, for each of us. But not only does the Bible tell us as it is, it also tells us as it could be. And that's important. What, what I love about the Psalms is often we start in the midst of difficulty and then by the end, our hearts are gladdened and filled with some sense of hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Maybe, you'll find yourself, maybe you find yourself there right now in a time of difficulty and distress. Well, we will follow this series through to the summer, but uh, over this Easter period, this week, next week, and the following week, we're going to do a little mini-series, as it were, through Psalms 22, 23, and 24. And in Psalms 22, today we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Next week, we'll look at Psalm 23, where uh, Jesus is the great shepherd, the one who now lives for his sheep and takes care of his sheep. And the following week, Psalm uh, 24, we're going to see that he is the chief shepherd who's going to return in glory um, to reward and take care of his sheep. Well, Psalm 22 um, is not only David's, David's uh, description of how he feels in this particular situation uh, that we'll unpack in a moment, but also it's a messianic text, which means that when David spoke about his situation, situation, he was also speaking prophetically about the situation of the Messiah, the one that would come to rescue God's people. And this psalm, Psalm 22, is quoted in all four Gospels and also in Hebrews, where it's referred to as, um, or it's, the, the, the text is referred to as applying to to Jesus. So as we go through this text, I want us to keep in mind two things. David... Jesus, and then us. Now, I'm going to do my best to make those 
three parts clear as we go through. But there's something here where we don't want to miss the reality of what David's going through because that's going to resonate with us. But then we also want to look to Jesus and see what he went through and then we're going to apply it. How does this bring any hope to our present situation? Well, my first, I've only got two points. Um, The first point is, well, the the points are this. Everyone experiences dark seasons of the soul. And the second point is, eventually, dark seasons of the soul give way to victory. So, let's look at that first point now. The reality is that for every single one of us, there will be moments, there may have been moments, um, we may be in a moment of darkness. And those darkness, dark times, don't always pass swiftly. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in that moment for, for periods of time, maybe extended periods of time, where we, we wonder, is God hearing me? Is there a God there at all to answer me in, in my need? Maybe for, for, for some of you, it's fear and anxiety that is crippling for you. Maybe for some of us, it's about relationships or friendships that seem to be unraveling at this time. Maybe, you're in, maybe you've been struggling for a long time with mental health. And like Cynthia Platt, uh, as you look through the bottom of the, the bow, bow glass, life just seems blurred and you feel numb to the world. Maybe isolation at this point in time is just really unsettling you and you don't totally know why, but you just feel really unsettled. Or maybe your parents and having the children at home just means you're extremely tired and feel constantly wiped out. Or maybe you've lost loved ones fairly recently. Maybe you've even lost some to the virus. And the pain of loss is aching and doesn't seem that it will go away quickly. Well, these seasons are seasons of life. They're part of the human condition. David, in the psalm, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On this occasion, we don't know what the occasion was. But whatever it was for David, he felt like he had been forsaken, that that God was not there, that God was not listening to him. And he felt deserted. Now, what I want to bring out first of all and straight away is there's a difference between feeling deserted and being deserted. Okay? There's a difference between feeling deserted and being deserted. And in this particular situation, as we read through the text, David feels deserted. There's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, as we read like, uh, in, in the other books of the Bible that describes David's life, where we see any time where David was actually deserted by God. In fact, it's the opposite. That David wasn't deserted by God for, because of the promise that God had made him. Um, that he would be king and that he would take care of him. But nonetheless, he felt and was experiencing the pain of separation from, from God in the midst of the circumstances that he found himself in. And 
this famous cry instantly transports us to Jesus on the cross, where he cries out the same, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22. And this is one of the things I think is most compelling about Jesus, is that he is uh, a saviour, or he claims to be a saviour, and this saviour is acquainted with grief. If you want to read uh, Isaiah um, 53, you're going to find a whole uh, uh, passage there that will talk about how Jesus was afflicted, how he was um, uh, in grief because of what was happening to him. And I find it most compelling that Jesus, who claims and who I believe to be the Saviour, is one who is acquainted with grief just like we are. He's one who's able to understand. And unlike David, as we'll see, whereas David felt abandoned, he felt despised, he felt condemned, Jesus was actually abandoned on the cross. He was uh, forsaken on the cross. He was despised on his way to the cross and on the cross. And he was condemned on the cross. So we're going to look through... Um, and pull out three things here that David was going through. And maybe some of these will resonate. Maybe none of them do, and there are other situations. But I think as we go through, we'll we'll start to see how Jesus, too, went through these things, which means that he can understand our present situation. Okay, so first point is this. David was abandoned or felt abandoned um, by God. In verse 1, he says this, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I do not find rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In your own ancestry, uh, ancestor, in your... In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, you, trusted and you delivered them. To, to you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Maybe David's abandonment most resonates with our situation here. We have this pandemic. People are dying all the way around the world. It seems like we're trying to get it under control, but we're not totally uh, um, succeeding in this. And we don't know what the world is going to be like afterwards. What is the consequence of these things? And maybe we're asking like David, where are you, God, in this situation? Why are you not answering our cries for help? Well, I think the first thing to see here is that the cry of David is not a complaint but it's a sob of a, um, of a child who needs his father. And the same with Jesus on the cross. When he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a complaint to God, you've forsaken me. I'm really frustrated or angry with you now. No, it's a sob from his heart. He's saying, where are you? I really need you. I don't know whether you've ever had the experience yourself or whether you've seen this. But when a child gets lost in a supermarket or a busy street and they don't know where their parents are, they start to sob and they start to cry and they say, where are you? Where are you? I need you. I need you at this point. I can't see you. I don't know where you are. Are you close to me? Well, 
That is the same of the sob here from David. Where are you, God? I really need you at this point. But as we read in verse 5, he says, To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they, were, they trusted and were not put to shame. So here David refers back saying, look, you've always shown that you're faithful to us. You've always shown that you, you hear and answer, have answered our prayers, of, of my prayer and my ancestors' prayer. But where are you right now? Well, God is silent at this time for David in the midst of his difficulty and his struggle. But David knows the importance of crying out to God at this point. He, it's almost... His desperation or his disappointment at God not answering leads us to the true fact that, 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 that the only place that we can go is calling out to God in these times. If there's anything that should um, mark the church at this time is that the church should be calling out to God. Help us. Why? Because without you we have no hope. It may be that God, it feels like God is silent at this point in our history. But nonetheless, where else do we have to, where else do we have to turn? We have nowhere else to turn and David totally understood that. Maybe you're watching and you're not a believer in God and you're struggling with some of these things. You say, I don't know where to turn. Well, David here helps us to understand where to turn. Turn to the true and the living God. Call out for him to meet you in the midst of your trouble and your difficulty. But for Jesus on the cross, it was totally different. He didn't just feel forsaken or abandoned. He was actually abandoned on the cross. His heavenly father abandoned him. Now, how could any good father do that? Well... The Father turned his back on Jesus because on the cross, Jesus took all our sin, our, our shame on the cross. It was because he went to the cross for our sake that God had to turn his back on him. He had to forsake him so that we might know that we do not have to be abandoned, that we do not have to be forsaken. It was the plan and purpose of Jesus that he might give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, this mysterious transaction with the Father took place where Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. And on the cross, Jesus was made sin for us and became a curse for humanity so that we don't have to be. Jesus truly understands, even more than David did, even more than we know what it means to be abandoned. Secondly, David felt despised. Now maybe this resonates with you more. He writes in verse 6 about his experience. He says, I am a, a worm, not a man, scorned by everybody, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults and shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him, de de let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, David says. 
You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. To be despised means to be thought ill of or to be deriled. And maybe you're experiencing that now, that through the, in the circumstances you find yourself in, maybe people are speaking or acting in an ill way against you. I don't know what it's like when you're working from home and you, you're, you're remotely working. I, I imagine there could be the tendencies for our bosses to think that we're not doing as much as we should be. Or maybe just in this isolation, we don't always know what people are thinking of us. Or maybe we look at people's Facebook page and we wonder why people don't like us as much as, as they do. Or maybe we just despise ourselves. Maybe our own inner person despises ourselves because we don't live up to the standards of other people. Maybe you have been accused of doing something or being something that is not wholly true. Or maybe I think of people with a disability, where people look at them in a certain way or respond to them in a certain way and treat you differently. Maybe you feel despised by those people. Being despised is a terribly hurtful reality. People that especially with people who are close to us, people that we trust, people that we care about, speak ill of us. My mind goes to a current situation of a well-known Christian leader who uh, lost his job because of the accusation of others against him. The accusation was spiritual blues, abuse. I've, I've wondered over these last number of weeks what it might be to be him at this time, where... People are saying things about him. And then other people are saying things about what other people are saying about him. And the truth or the full story often doesn't come out. I imagine he feels despised. Maybe he feels also abandoned by his friends and his colleagues. People that he trusted, people who were close to him. But maybe he also feels uh, despised or rejected by God. I hope he knows that he isn't, but like David, often it feels that way. Well, again, Jesus, we're told, was despised in his life, in his death, and now even in his resurrection where people both disbelieve him but also use his name as a swear word. Throughout Jesus' life, he was despised by people. Um, without blame and without fault. There was no trueness in their accusations. There was no trueness in the reasons for the despising him, other than Jesus was a threat to the status quo. quo, quo. We'll get there. Um, Jesus came to bring something so radically different into the place of Israel that all those around him felt threatened. During his ministry, he felt opposition from the religious leaders who wrongly accused him of being a deceiver and a fraud. On a number of occasions, they tried to kill him. Um, though in general, up to his, the last week of his, uh, to the last few days of his life, the community of Israel received him pretty much 
uh, and welcomed him and were really interested in the things that he was doing, even if they didn't all totally believe that he was the Messiah. We see at the beginning of this week, on this kind of very day, as it were, as we start this last Easter week, that it's Palm Sunday, that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, everybody was cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King of David, which is a messianic term to say, here is the Messiah coming. He's coming to set us free. But by, t- but by the end of the week, by next Friday, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They're baying for his blood. Jesus has become despised by the people. Follow it with me through Matthew 27, and we'll see that everybody despised Jesus at the cross, bar some of his followers. But even some of those followers were not close by because they were concerned for their own lives. Look at this. The Roman soldiers mocked them in verse 28 to 31. They said they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him like they were worshipping him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And they spat on him. They took the staff and they struck him over the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. So the Roman soldiers mocked him, but also the passers-by on the road where Jesus was crucified also mocked him and despised him. Read this in verse 39. Those who passed by heard insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, who, who are you going... Uh, uh, saying... You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And then the religious leaders mocked him on the cross. Verse 41, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saves others, they said, but he can't save himself. He He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in the Lord. Let let, let God come and rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. So the religious leaders mocked him as well. And then finally, even those who had committed a crime on the cross, who were rightly there for their sins and for their crimes, mocked him. Verse 44, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus experienced, like no other, what it was like to be despised by everyone. By everyone. And Jesus is being mocked and insulted is, is, is different to ours because they're often is some truth in our weaknesses and in our failures that people are despising. Not always, but sometimes. But with Jesus, there was no shred of truth in any of their despising of him. Okay, finally, in terms of David's experience, he felt condemned. This is verses... uh, 12 to 18 he felt condemned maybe 
You're in that place of darkness and suffering because of your own guilt. Your, your shame and your guilt at your moral failure or your not being good enough in comparison to other people weighs so heavy on you that you can't get up from underneath it. In fact, your self-imposed darkness is your way of punishing yourself. Or maybe you feel condemned by other people's opinion of yourself. Or maybe you've been pigeonholed or written off. Well, David experienced that sense of condemnation. And he describes it, um, this condemnation and this kind of desire for his punishment in his condemnation at the hands of his enemies, like being attacked by wild animals, like wild bulls baying for his blood, exacting punishment on on him. See this in verse 12 and 21. He says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircling me. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then he describes it as being attacked by lions, roaring lions that tear their prey open, uh, open their mouth wide against me. Rescue me, he says, from the mouth of the lion. And then thirdly, wild dogs. Dogs surround me. Uh, a pack of villain, villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Deliver, f- deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Well, the correlation between what David says he's feels like he experienced uh, is unmistakable, unmistakably a description of Jesus being taken to the cross by his enemies. That these wild dogs were not just attacking a king, they were attacking the king of kings. They were attacking the creator of the universe. And in verses 14 to 18, he describes what it's like to be condemned and how it feels to him. And again, it's quite clear uh, that this is a description of the execution and the, the punishment being exacted upon Jesus on the cross. It's a description of a man being crucified. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potash and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. My bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. And they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Well, I haven't got time to show you how that's fulfilled in the New Testament. But all you need to do is go to read the Gospels leading up to Jesus' death and crucifixion. And you'll see that these things that took place was the experience that Jesus had when he was being crucified on the cross. Jesus totally experienced what it was like to be condemned. He was stripped of his clothes. He was placed on the cross. The nails were driven through his hands and his feet. His body was dehydrated. And his strength was fading like ebbing water or melting wax. 
and he became brittle like pottery. So Jesus knew, like David, what it was like to be abandoned, to be despised, and to be condemned. Now the question is, in what way is this any hope for us in our current situation? Why is it helpful and, bring, and hopeful to us that Jesus experienced the same things that David is describing here? And there's two things I just want to say in this, which is this. Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our deep darkness. Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our deep darkness. You know, Jesus being despised, being rejected, being condemned, being abandoned means that he is uniquely able to comfort us in every situation of our life. No one has experienced the, the, hu- the humanity, um, um, humanity like, like Jesus has. No other human has really experienced the depths of being uh, separated, the depths of being despised, the depths of being uh, condemned. All the lies, all the rejection, all the betrayal, all the physical condemnation, all the abandonment itself. He has experienced the physical pain like, like many are now. He has experienced the emotional pain like many are now. He's experienced the spiritual pain of separation like many do now. Jesus knows pain and distress. He is not a God who has insulated himself from the human suffering. No, he is a God who came down and partook in the human suffering. So he might be the type of king who knows what it means to suffer. He might bring hope in our darkness. Why? Because he knows what it means to be there. Jesus laid down all his heavenly pleasures he laid down aside his equality with God so that he might be the suffering servant king and whether a person of faith or not a person of faith he understands your pain Jesus here's your cry for help at this time come come to him speak to him cry out like David in your distress He truly understands what you're going through. And then secondly, Jesus' death and resurrection means that you do not have to be abandoned, despised and condemned by God. Whilst the coronavirus is causing physical and emotional suffering and its effects will continue on in social and financial suffering, well after this pandemic is being quelled, there is a bigger, greater pandemic that all humanity faces that we often suppress and we don't like to talk about it as society. And it is the pandemic of sin. This pandemic lies under the surface um, and often we don't want to admit that it's a, it's a problem, but in fact it's a reality. But unlike the coronavirus, we're all infected because of our nature. Sin is with us. It's creeping at our door. It's always there whispering a lie into our ear, telling us who we are or who we're not. We might not want to call it sin. Maybe we want to call it a cheeky bit of fun on the side or maybe just doing what everybody else is doing. But Romans 3 
um, 16 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So not only is everybody infected by sin, the death rate is not 6% or even 10% or even 50%. It's 100%. But what brings us hope is that Jesus is the cure. That Jesus brings us a hope that is lasting, sure and steadfast. No matter what our circumstances are in this life, that, that he will bring about a change to the darkness forever. Jesus is the cure for this sin pandemic. When David is describing his own feelings, he's also uh, and describing what it, what, it, what, you know, what it means for him to, to be suffering and what it feels like. He's also describing what Jesus went through so that we might not have to go through abandonment, separation, condemnation from God. We're told that those who are in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus, there is no condemnation for them. Well, what a word for today. When we're in, we're in a circumstances when we don't know when it's going, going to end, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling distressed, when we're feeling isolated, Jesus came down to earth because he knew the, 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 the condition that we were in. And out of his great love, he came down and took all our sin, all our suffering on the cross, paid for it as a human being, so that we would not have to pay for it for ourselves. Truly, I hope you can see that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He lays it down for all of us, those who have come to know what he has done, but also those who have not yet come to know what he's done. Okay, the pandemic is a big issue. We don't want to minimise that. But if we don't know Jesus, we do have a greater issue at hands. One where we do have the cure. And that's faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting that what he did on the cross really paid for our sin. It really took the burden off ourselves and loosed the, the heavy weight of not being good enough. And Jesus took it upon himself. He was rejected by God, so you don't have to be rejected by God. He was despised by people, so that we don't have to be despised by people. He died in our place. Jesus promises not just salvation from something, but promises new life. And all we need to do is put our trust in Jesus. Well, we don't have time now to finish off the last bit of this psalm. But I just want to encourage you to read it on your own in your quiet time. And what we'll see is that David then, as he cries out again to God in verse 19 to 21, he then comes to a place where he starts to acknowledge that there is going to be a victory. There's going to be an end of his suffering, his circumstances. And whilst it speaks of his particular circumstances, it speaks also of uh, prophetically to the hope that we have that Jesus will come again and he will have a great um, gathering of people, that there will be a, a, a great, um, oh, I nearly forgotten there, a great, um, he will get a great name for himself and that he will be a great king and kingdom.
When Jesus comes again, we're told that everything will be made new. And we will have hope in him. So not only do we have hope in the midst of our suffering, not only do we have a hope in the midst of our suffering that there's a cure and that starts now, but also we have a hope in the future that God will make things right, that the new king will come and we will be looked after for him. And we'll look a little bit of that next week. This king, this good shepherd, this great shepherd who now cares for his people. Well, let's just bow our heads in prayer and then we um, will have some time to, um, to, answer the, uh, to, to discuss in our, in our groups um, around virtual tables. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you it does not return back void. Lord, I pray for every single person who's just struggling at this time, struggling in isolation, struggling, maybe in distress. Maybe they feel abandoned, maybe they feel despised. Uh, Father, maybe they um, feel condemned. Lord, would you meet them? Would, Would they know that you understand their suffering? Would they call out to you in their time of need? And Father, I pray that you would also reveal that there's a greater issue at hand here. And that is um, the problem with sin. We just thank you that Jesus' death on the cross not just gives us a hope now, but gives us a hope forever. So I pray that you would um, meet us in this time. Amen.